Hey guys, I'm lead pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. I was uh, really thankful to have Andre last week. It's cool to have he and his friends here with us. Uh, I think, um, yeah, he did a great job teaching us uh, what it means to be the greatest of all time, right? Uh, Anyway, it's good to be back with you. I, I'm coming up a, it, it's funny, like he, he taught about humility, basically, right? Jesus teaching that we've got to become like a child uh, in order to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I came back from the conference I was at last week, uh, and I told Megan, I'd been wanting to help out at youth group, like, hey, I'll teach one night, you know, and I hadn't at all yet, not at all, had I taught at youth group. So I was like, I feel like, like I'm, tonight's the night, you know, I didn't have to preach, I feel pretty excited. And um, anyways, it's funny, you know, message on humility, Sunday morning, I showed up and just laid a total egg at youth group on, on Sunday night. So uh, I'm really glad to be speaking to people uh, this week. I should know the young people jokes, but like I was missing on all my uh, illustrations. So anyways, I'm, I'm very humbled to be in front of you uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I was thinking this week as I read this passage, you guys familiar with that song? There's a guy named uh, Rodney Atkins. Yeah, he's a country singer. He has this song called uh, Watching You. I've been watching you. You're my buckaroo. I want to be like you. This passage made me think a little bit about that song. Let me read the lyrics for you. Uh, Driving through town, just my boy and me with a happy meal in his booster seat knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. Green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where did you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's, such, it's a, hor- a heartwarming song. Um, I was watching the music video this week and realizing how old I am <laughs> and how things that seem to be so cool just not that long ago, you know, 2005 or whatever, just doesn't feel like that long ago. But man, the video is like so dated. Anyways, parents, have you had this experience? Have you had this, ex- you know? <laughs> think hopefully we've all had this experience. I know that I've had this experience. And uh, it's just a good reminder that there's great power in our influence, isn't there? You know, as much as we want to say, do as I say, not as I do, it just doesn't work, does it? Do what I say, not what I do. It's just not going to cut it. Um, But influence can work in other ways in the lives of a believer. And it can be, I think, even deeper. Our, Our influence can be even deeper than just this kind of trivial external behavior. I mean, has anyone ever known somebody uh, 
who has a story of being led away from faith because of the influence or the behavior of other Christians. I can think of a couple friends and even family members close to me who have this story. Uh, it's hard for me to commit to Jesus because why? Because of Christians and the way that I've seen them uh, behave. Maybe it's the pastor caught in an affair, the, the worship leader with a foul tongue at work, the kids leader with a tongue full of gossip. Our behavior has the power to influence, doesn't it? And it, it's not just so trivial as a little S word sometimes. It can be even uh, deeper than that. And, and this passage, it's all about our effect on other people. It's about how our sins, if left unchecked, can, uh, can cause others to stumble in a way that causes great consequence um, to not only others, but also to ourselves. So the point of the lesson today is that our sin, when left unchecked, has great consequence. And yeah, it has consequence for others, but it also has consequence for our own selves. So we look at where we've been in the book of Matthew. We're, we're here in Matthew chapter 18, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, line of thought uh, for, that we're in started really in chapter 17 with the story of the temple tax. And in that story, we, li- we learned that uh, we can limit our freedoms in order to love others well. We learn to look outward to love others. And then last week, Andre taught what it means to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. We learn that we can lower our position to become like a child. And remember in those days, you know, we have a very child-centered culture, don't we? And our children are very important to us. We love children in our culture, really. But in that day and age, children had no rights at all. That's important to remember. They, man, it's their, their position, we think of children as humble. But man, in that culture, the children had no rights at all. Obey. That was your right as a child. So we learn to look downward. Humility is the way to be the greatest in, in God's kingdom. And this week, we're going to hear about this millstone story, this example of a millstone. And we're going to get into this uh, we're going to get into a teaching that is really should be familiar to us because in Matthew chapter 5, we heard language like if, you, uh, if you're tempted, you got to like cut off your arm, gouge out your eye because it'd be better for you to avoid temptation uh, than to keep your arm if the arm was causing the problem. We learned that we've got to lop off any appetite that hurts the faith of ourself or others. We've got to look inward. And so the moral of today's teaching is that we've got to look inward if we're going to avoid being a stumbling block. I think this is really critical as we think about being an outward facing circle for our community. Sometimes uh, we can, if, if we're honest, sometimes with our faith, I think we can be, be like, hey, do what I say, not what I do. But the world's actually watching, aren't they? So here we are in Jesus' sermon on community, his sermon on the congregation. He's been talking. Matthew 13 through 17 was really all about the faith that it takes to be a part of his church. And now this sermon on community, the sermon on the congregation, chapters 18, 19, and 20, we're going to see how we relate to one another within the church. This is his sermon on how to act towards one another. So remember this sermon, uh, it has some strong parallels to that famous sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Andre referred to that last week. Today's passage, it's very Sermon on the Mount-ish. You'll recognize the structure. In the Sermon on the Mount teachings, there was often a what? A teaching? 
followed by a why you should follow the teaching and then a how to do what Jesus was instructing. And we're going to see that in today's passage, the what, the why, and the how. But we also uh, see themes of little ones. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus was teaching from the very outset of his ministry. It's actually the little ones, the insignificant ones that have the most significance. Being poor in spirit is the way to wealth in God's kingdom. Even the method of how to remove sins, I think I already referred to this. Matthew chapter 5, you can take a look. This is uh, from Jesus' famous teaching on how to avoid adultery and lust. He taught us to even gouge out your eye if your eye is causing you to sin. And we see that same method for sin removal in today's passage. So the structure is going to work nicely this morning. It's always helpful as a preacher when the structure helps you create your structure and your outline. Uh, We're going to start by hearing uh, Jesus' warning, the what of his teaching. And then we're going to see the woes that Jesus prescribes, the why we would want to avoid this error, this folly. And finally, we're going to see the work that's necessary, the work that's necessary for us to do and live like Jesus is calling us to live, the work necessary to make sure that we don't become a stumbling block for our fellow brother and sister. So let's start with the warning. Verse 6 And I think I have a slide for this verse. Verse six says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, oh, you can just skip past this video. The video didn't work this morning. Okay. (laughs) Verse, verse six. It's okay. The verse six says, if anyone causes one of these little ones dash those who believe in me to stumble. So number one thing we got to notice is Jesus is talking about these little ones again. And he frequently is going to use this word one in, uh, in the community stories. The one. Jesus cares for the one. The stress is on quality, not quantity. He's not talking about the masses. He's talking about the one. If, if you're here this morning, I'm just here to tell you that you're the one that Jesus cares about. I don't want to ruin next week's sermon. We're going to talk about the one sheep that Jesus is going to go after. It's going to be... Uh, a powerful example of the pursuit of God, but Jesus cares about the one. He's got a passion for the individual. Now, it's not just a self-centered individualism that Jesus is promoting here. We see that a lot in our culture, don't we? Our culture also has a really high value for the individual, but it's a care for the other person that Jesus has in view here a care for the other person. Actually, uh, our, our superintendent at Exeter Unified always talks about this, uh, this teaching to the one, seeing each person individually and their own needs, their own story, the things that they come into our lives with. This is how Jesus was. I can feel, I, I actually have almost mocked that phrase of our superintendent, don't tell him, but because I'm like, man, I got 65 ones in my classroom. It's a lot of ones, over 200 some students to, con- to concern myself with. But this is Jesus who cares about every single one of his children. This is powerful. Even in, in a church that's small, like our church is right now, we can lose sight. But Jesus cares about every single one. The one is so Im- important to Jesus, in particular, the little one. In particular, the little one, the the insignificant person, the unstrategic person, the Sermon on the Mount, poor in spirit. This is the one that Jesus cares about. I don't know if you've ever felt really little. 
small or insignificant, but this morning this message is for you. And in this church, we need to be for this little one. People that you see sitting around you, we're all little ones, one of the least of these. Jesus cares about the unstrategic. He, he actually, uh, he, he, like, we're, we're prone to give people attention when they do something outstanding, are we not? We pay attention to those who do something great, who can help us with that thing that they do great, who have some sort of strategic connection to what we're after. And Jesus instead, he, he cares about the unstrategic, the little ones. He pays attention to the unoutstanding. He's completely unstrategic with his care, with his love. He cares for every single little one. Jesus cares about the individual. And are we so thankful that he's partnered with the unstrategic? With little ones like us, Jesus has chosen to partner. I've often described this as God's most regrettable decision to partner with humans. But in his care, he has chosen to partner with us. He's chosen to love each one of us. These little ones, we've got to be careful because in the last story, the little ones were children. But now Jesus is moving ahead into a metaphorical use of the term little ones. And in our NIV translation, it does a nice job of giving us that, those little hyphens. Who are the little ones? Those who believe in me, Jesus says. So when we hear little ones, we should think not just of children, we should think of disciples. The little ones in this story are disciples. They're not just children. So little ones is now a metaphor for disciples' uh, humility, the humility that we learned about last week. So the next thing I wanted to ask is, well, what is a stumbling block? What is a stumbling block? If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble. So what is a stumbling block? This is important because there's a really heavy consequence for those who would cause a little one to stumble. So what is a stumbling block? I'm going to start by what a stumbling block is not. So a stumbling block is not mere offense. Like we're not now responsible for guarding all our behaviors, sinful or not, in order to avoid uh, offending people. You may have noticed that Jesus was not too worried about causing an uh, offense. In fact, like one of the main things that we've learned about Jesus' whole life in ministry is that he was an offense. And that was the problem. Isaiah 8, 14 actually prophesied this and called Jesus, uh, the Jesus to come, a stumbling block to many. Jesus was a stumbling block to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of his day. So it's not this type of offense that we're being taught to avoid. It's not our job to avoid offending any and all. That's not what it means to not be a stumbling block. So this means that doing something that other people think is wrong according to their conscience, like, for example, dancing. Anyone grew up in a no-dancing home? I kind of did, kind of, sort of. It hasn't been that long since Christian churches were mostly against dancing. It's pretty crazy to think about that. Smoking, drinking, maybe it's wearing jeans to church. I grew up in one of those. Can't wear jeans to church, right? So some of those things aren't sinful, are they? In and of themselves, they're not sinful, right? We believe that there's Christian freedom to wear jeans to church. We believe there's Christian freedom to dance or even maybe to have an occasional smoke. But uh, some of us have, have taken this, this liberty and, and we've gone so far as to say that if you do one of these things, you might tempt somebody into stumbling. 
It might tempt somebody into sin. And so you should avoid all this type of behavior. And it kind of bred a bit of a legalism in the church, has it not? Like where we've gotten, like, like we've gotten uh, so carried away with things that aren't the main things, right? Not to say that it wouldn't be wise at times to uh, not drink in the presence of someone who's struggling with, um, with alcoholism. Not to say that it wouldn't be wise to avoid dirty dancing, <laughs> so to speak. At least that was the kind of dancing that went on often at my high school dances. So anyways, we're, 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 not, uh, we're not to avoid just mere offense. Remember, Jesus was called a, a glutton and a drunkard. This is the Jesus who turned water into wine at the wedding. So we've got to be careful not to get super legalistic about a behavior. I don't think that that's what this passage is talking about. Some have pointed to uh, Romans 14. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Some have used that passage to say what Jesus means is that we're responsible for the behavior of others. I don't think that that's what Jesus is getting at here. Notice in this passage that I just read from Romans 14, what does he first say? Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about here when it comes to a stumbling block. Let me let me, um, let me go to D.F. Bruner. I just I wanted to make a plug. I've been relying heavily on this commentary. Um, some of the smart things that you think I'm thinking of are coming from this commentary. So here it is. I'm waving this out here. This is give credit where it's due, not plagiarizing. You can plagiarize as long as you tell people you're plagiarizing, right? Isn't that... Isn't that how it works? D.F. Bruner, he said it better than I could say it. This is how he translates the passage. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to lose their faith. See, what's in view here is something much deeper than just external behavior. Little trivial sins. There's something deeper. The idea in view, is it's almost like a false teaching or a false living that would lead somebody into apostasy or, or lead them themselves into false living out of faith. I think there's parallels to the, um, the unpardonable sin, right, of rejecting the Holy Spirit, which we learned about a couple months ago. The thing is that there's bigger implications here than just a way of being that would tempt someone into, unlo- uh, into a lawful behavior that might not be good for them. And I don't think Jesus is demanding we live hypervigilantly aware of every lawful behavior we indulge in freely that might have any potential to lead another into temptation. I don't think that's what Jesus has in view here. I mean, good luck with that. Good luck living in such a way that nobody is tempted to sin. Good luck with that. There's no liberty if that's the way we're living. So I want to be careful. I do, I do care really, like, I care that you wouldn't have external sin. I care really deeply that you wouldn't be trapped in external sin. I also care really deeply that we'd be a church of grace and not a church of legalism. It would not be any better to get stuck and trapped by trying to make up rules and living according to rules that Jesus hasn't called us to. We got to notice that. The other thing that I want you to notice about this warning is the severity of the warning. Jesus is not messing around. He's not telling jokes. This isn't a pithy little story. And yes, there's hyperbole in the story. 
hyperbole, like uh, that's like exaggeration used for uh, dramatic effect. Exaggeration used to make a point. But it doesn't mean that Jesus is joking. He says it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is an extreme picture, is it not? The millstone. I've got a millstone pictured here. I don't know if this is exactly like what one of their millstones look, would look like, but it was as close as I could get. I'm told that there's an importance here about the millstone being large. This is not <clears throat> a handheld grinder or mortar. This is a large millstone. You would have needed a donkey to pull the large millstone. If this thing is uh, tied around your neck, you're going quickly and surely to the bottom of the sea. And, and it's so big, like there's no coming up from this millstone. You're not going to like die, drown, and then float back up at some point. Your body will remain at the bottom of the sea. Keep in mind the ancient people that Jesus was talking to had a huge fear of the seas and a huge fear of death without the possibility of burial, right? So Jesus is using hyperbole, but he's trying to make a really important point. This is what happens if we don't address our sin. It's okay if the, if the audio plays on your phone during service and it's a Bible verse, you're good. You're good, Steve. Nice job. So that brings us to the woes. Why? Why the warning? Verse 7, it says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. First thing, well, what's a woe? What is a woe? Woe to me. Woe to you. Woe to the world. A woe is the opposite of a blessing. It is not a blessing. Think it, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the opposite of that. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Woe to the person through whom they come. It's basically a prophetic utterance that, hey, if you keep doing this, things are going to get real bad. That's what Jesus is saying. This is what will happen to you if you keep going. This is why you need to pay attention. This is why you need to take seriously my severe warning. Woe to the world and woe to the person through whom they come. The second thing is that hurts will happen in this world. Jesus makes it clear such things must come. You may have noticed that bad things happen to good people. The world can be a tough place to be. There's plenty of hurts. There's plenty of sin that will enter the world because of our fallen nature. The world has enough stumbling blocks to offer. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Many of you are walking in and around different types of evil in your life right now. There's enough evil. There's enough suffering. The world brings with it enough. What we don't need is to be causing people inside our walls to step into suffering and destruction. So Jesus says, woe to the person who themselves adds to the world's hurts. Again, notice the focus on the individual person. Disciples must care about the one Woe to the person who causes one of my children to stumble. Jesus sees hurts to faith as, as avoidable personal responsibilities. 
Jesus sees hurts to faith as, as avoidable personal responsibilities. There's something that we can do to avoid these individual hurts. There's something we can do to avoid becoming stumbling blocks. So thus far, the focus has been on the other little ones. The little ones. The little ones to stumble. It's been them. It's been they. And I'm not talking about pronouns. But Jesus is going deeper. The other one. I'm sorry, the other little one in this story is not they. It's not them. It's me. It's you. It's us. Jesus doesn't just care about them. He cares about me. I've got to get this properly in view if I'm going to avoid being a stumbling block. If I'm going to avoid being my own stumbling block. So let's take a look at the work he recommends if we're going to heed his warning. Pretty cool. Warning, woes, work. It's all coming together now. Verse 8, he says, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So how do we avoid hurting people? This is the big question. How do we avoid hurting people? Well, Jesus gives us a prescription for assess and correct. Assess and correct. Number one, assess. Look, the Jesus formula for, for not causing others to stumble is to take a look at what, well, what causes us to stumble in our lives. Notice here, the, pers- the uh, perspective has changed. We're now not pointing fingers out here. The finger is pointed right here. You want to avoid other people to stumble? You take a look at what causes you to stumble, what causes us to stumble. He says, if your hand or your foot, all of a sudden we're not just looking at that little one. We're looking at this little one. We're called to look on the inside. We have to look at which causes us to stumble. What causes me to stumble? Whatever causes me to stumble could become a stumbling block to others if I'm not careful. We've got to be introspective. Look, I'm the problem. This is the, this is the perspective. This is the position of a disciple. My sin is the foremost problem. We can't say, do what I, uh, do what I say and not what I do. My sin is the primary problem problem. My sin, if it's, if it's left unchecked, it can cause others to stumble. And this is a really, really, really bad thing. It's, it'd be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck. Or, or I should say, this is the consequence of unchecked sin. A really unbearable, unbearable death. Sometimes we can be more worried about our influence than we're worried about our own sin. Have you ever, have you ever been like that? I remember thinking as a kid, as a teenage kid, pastor's kid, knowing I I was living in sin in certain ways, but not wanting to say anything about it. I I literally thought that if I were to be honest about my sin, that it would cause other people to stumble. I had it so backwards. So instead, what happened is I didn't do war on my own sin. And so I kept on sinning. And as I kept on, on sinning, I'm sure I caused others to stumble. I know that I caused others to stumble. Do you see what I'm saying? If you want to avoid causing others to stumble, you've got to do war. We've got to do war. I've got to do war on my own sin. The do as I say, not as I do mentality. 
it, it just won't do. So we've got to assess, but then we've also got to correct. It's not enough just to see it. We've got to do something about it. You probably recognize the prescription, like I said, from Matthew 5. It was Jesus' way for avoiding lust and adultery. Gouge out your eye if it's going to cause you to sin. It'd be better for you to live without an eye than to continue in your sin. He says the same thing or, or a same version, a different version of the same thing. We've, we've got to kill temptation or we'll be killed by sin. This is the formula here. If we don't kill temptation, you're going to be killed by your sin. The prescription is violent, isn't it? It's totally violent. It's like maybe even obscene. Imagine cutting off the arm. I, uh, I, I heard uh, years ago the story of a rock climber. Maybe you've heard this story. He, uh, he was climbing in a gorge and he got his arm trapped uh, under a large boulder. And I think he tried and tried to get free from the boulder. And then he started to realize, wait a minute, nobody knows where I am. Nobody's going to come and get me. There's wild animals around me. So what do I got to do to get out from this boulder? And, and what did he do? He had a pocket knife and he cut his arm out uh, off in order to get out from underneath the boulder. That's a crazy story, isn't it? But isn't it a powerful picture? You guys, there's like, nobody knows where you are. You're, you're, you're out on your own in the world. There's wild animals all around you. If you don't do something, you'll be eaten or you'll starve, rotting in place. You've got to do something really drastic. The prescription is violent. We can't just tiptoe around. We have to take it seriously. It's, it, it can't be like, oh, I'll get to that. I'm working on that issue of sin in my life. It's not that bad, you know, justifying it. Ah, I'm just going through a lot of stress right now. The world's been really, oh, there's so much temptation. That woman at my work, she just, what she wears. Ah, you know what I'm saying? We justify, don't we? It'll be all right. We minimize. It's not that big of a deal. We dance around sometimes our own issues of sin. Jesus would say, we've got to take it seriously. We've got to take this serious. We've got to get really violent about eliminating our own temptation and our own sin. It's not something to laugh about or to joke about. I mean, we do this. We make light of these things in our lives, don't we? We make light of our own gluttony. We make light of our own gossip. We make light of our judgment. We make, we make light of our anger. I've made light of my anger, at least. Maybe not you. We make light of them. No, Jesus says you got to cut it off. you got to cut it off. It takes a heroic violence against oneself to kill the kind of temptation that would hurt others. A heroic violence against oneself. I think maybe this is like part of what it looks like to take up our cross. It's like a violent action against our own selves. And I get it, yeah, this is hyperbole, but still. So then the, 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 the thing is, you know, is that there's really a choice before us, isn't, the, isn't there? There's a choice before us. Are we going to live? Are we going to um, take action and create good hurt? Cut off the arm? Or are we going to accept bad hurt? Sink to the bottom of the sea, millstone around our neck. There will be pain one way or the other. This is the thing. There will be pain one way or the other. There is no option that avoids all pain. There is no option that avoids all hurt. We just have to choose. Do you want the pain of self-discipline or the pain of self-destruction? Which, which pain will you choose? 
the pain of self-discipline or the pain of self-destruction. Look, genuine discipleship hurts. I hate to break it to you, but genuine discipleship hurts. But consider the rewards. Consider the rewards. Others aren't hurt when we take care of our own sin, when we're vigilant, when we self-discipline ourselves. Others don't hurt as much. This is powerful. Your life has an impact. Like, what if we were a church that warred so hard against our own sin that it had an impact on each other and we stopped causing each other to stumble? How powerful would that be? Look, the gospel, the principles of the gospel, they multiply goodness. It's not even just a plus one. If I take care of my sin, it's not just one person less sinful. It's potentially a family less trapped by sin. It's a community less trapped by sin. The promises of the gospel, they multiply, multiplies, right? How many fish? Two fish, five loaves. Feed a few more people. It's multiplication. It's not addition, you guys. So we got to choose a good hurt over the bad hurt. I remember my dad, we used to joke about my dad. My, my dad would come in and he would be, ah, I'm so tired, you know, but his, his famous phrase would be like, yeah, but it's a good tired. It's a good tired. And uh, so this is a bit of a family joke, but we, we need to embrace the good hurts, the kind of hurts that do death to our sin, the kind of hurts that chop sin off violently, decisively, definitively, because the reality is that if we don't accept the good hurts, there's hurts coming both in this life and in the life to come. This passage also mentions hell and eternal fire. These are, whoa, dang, Jesus, could you chill out a little bit? Hell, fire, oh my goodness. And it can fill, and it's like the, the biggest accusation against Jesus is that when he talks about hell, when he talks about fire, it's like, oh, he's so mean. He's so unloving. No, it's the opposite. A loving parent warns their children. When you parents, you know this. When your kid was little and they took off into the street after the ball, what did you do? You took off after them, right? And then you taught them, no, you got to look both ways. I still remember the time I was probably four years old when I was taught how to cross the street by looking both ways. Because a warning is loving. It's not hateful. It's loving. Jesus loves you so much. That he's brought a warning for us today. We've got to choose the good hurt so we don't experience the bad hurt. Maybe you knew that the Greek word for hell is, uh, that's used right here is Gehenna. It's used 12 times in the New Testament. And uh, Gehenna was, is another way to say the Valley of Hinnom. It's a literal place uh, next to Jerusalem. And it, uh, it's, it's a place that was known in the Old Testament. If you go back to First and Second Kings, there's stories of idolatry being performed in this valley. There's stories of injustices to children, atrocities against children, a child sacrifice even taking place in this valley, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, a place of spiritual infidelity. Look, you guys, there's a reality to our sinful way of living that is the here and now. Like on this earth, there is destruction when we don't do war with our sin. On this earth, like hell, I'm here to say, there, there's a here and now component to hell. 
And there's also an eternal component to hell. Did you know that, that uh, years later, New Testament times now, this valley would, was a place where they took their refuse? That's a fancy word for trash. Not sure why I said refuse. <laughs> they took their garbage to this valley and they dumped it there. Also in that time, if there were babies that didn't make it, babies, uh, I'm sorry, children that didn't make it, they would be placed in this valley. If there were wars, people died for whatever reason, they would often be thrown into this valley if they did not receive a proper burial. So imagine this valley full of trash, maybe rotting human beings. The bones, the remains from Old Testament times of child sacrifice, Gehenna, hell, you guys, is, it's a real place. It's, it's, it's both here and it's in the future. They would often set fire to this valley in order to get rid of the trash. So it's literally burning rot. This is a picture of the here and now destruction of our lives. And I believe the eternal hell that awaits if we've not done business with our sin. And because God is love, he warns us. Jesus here, he comes really serious. You've got to do violent action against your sin. He's so loving to warn us. So now we know we've, we've got to do the hard work of taking a look on the inside and, and doing war on the things that tempt us, on the things that lead us into sin. Because what causes us to stumble is going to cause others to stumble. So how do we do this? Because I know you're sitting there thinking, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, so convicted. You know, this passage this week, I'm like, how do I even preach this passage? How do I get up in front of these people and tell them to do war uh, on the sin that's in their lives, knowing all the well, like sins are popping up in my head? Oh, have I taken that sin seriously? Have I just like justified that sin, made excuses for that sin? Have I really done business with my sin? We, it can feel like, oh man, I'm just, I, there's nothing I can do about that. Like right now, I just can't stop eating too much. I'm a glutton right now. You know what I'm saying? There's just, there's just like, oh, tomorrow's going to be the day that I turn it all around. Right? I'm going to stop looking at that tomorrow. tomorrow. This is the last day. Tomorrow, I will never look at that again. Right? Have you been in this spot where you can just try so hard and it, get, it gets discouraging when all our efforts don't seem to do anything? And so I wanted to invite you uh, this morning into what I believe is the biblical prescription for cutting off the arm, for gouging out the eye. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me. Search me, O God. What do we tend to do with our sin? We tend to hide our sin. And King David said, no, search me, O God. Reveal it to me, God. Look, the best thing for you is to get caught in your sin. One of my best friends in college had, a tr had trouble with drinking early on in his college years. He's told me later that his dad, in, in, that, uh, in that phase of his life, his dad would pray that he would get caught in his sin. And his dad would pray that he'd even be arrested if he was drinking where he shouldn't be drinking or drunk in public or whatever. And my friend says, man, I got more uh, like tickets for being drunk in public or public possession than any of my friends. We've got, we want to get caught in our sin, right? This is what we need. So we've got we, we've to expose our hearts to God. Like, God, catch me in my sin. Don't let it be a stumbling block anymore for me or for others around me. We've got to get caught in our sin. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any 
offensive way in me. And we've got to think about bad behaviors, bad postures, and bad influences. Maybe you do need to stop drinking. Maybe you need to take a serious look at your drinking. Maybe, maybe the sin that you've got to cut off is pornography or lust. Maybe the sin you've got to cut off is workaholism or a dependence on material uh, things. Maybe it's successism. Maybe the behavior you've got to cut off is gossip or slander. I don't know. Maybe there's postures that you've got to cut off. I know that in my heart, I was like, man, there's like pride in my heart at times. Where I don't want to look at the little ones like Jesus looked at the little ones. Where I only want to look at the strategically advantageous relationships. Maybe there's arrogance. Maybe there's judgmentalism. See, these postures, they're not just external behaviors. There's ways of being in our hearts that we need to search. Maybe it's bad influences. Like the hand, the foot, and the eye. Maybe, maybe cutting off the hand looks like taking out a bad influence. What's an influence on your life that needs to be cut out? A, a quote-unquote false teacher, potentially, that you need to remove from your life. You're keeping around, but you need to get rid of. Maybe it's CNN. Maybe it's Fox News. Maybe it's MTV, Instagram, YouTube. I don't know. What is it? What are the false teachers that are speaking into your life, influencing you? We've got to lop them off. Whether it's a posture, a behavior, an influence, we've got to take direct action. It's enough dancing with the devil. You get what I'm saying? Enough. We've got to get violent. We've got to get serious. There's an effect on our own lives and there's an effect on those around us. So you're like, Noel, I, I get it. I, I'm, I've been trying and my trying, you said that uh, I might have trouble with my trying and I've been having trouble with my trying. My trying doesn't seem to be working. I wanted to end with an invitation. And it works great because we always end with an invitation to the blood and the broken body of Jesus. I'm here to say this morning that you can stop trying because the work is complete. This represents the completed work of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest from the trying rest from the working the one who paid the price for all the ways we've ignored the little ones among us jesus the one who though we were little died for us in our place jesus says come to me the bible says that if we confess our sins he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins but he's he's not only faithful to forgive us of our sins the passage also says He's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm here to tell you this, if you confess your sins to Jesus, he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. This is death to trying to get it right. This is death to behavior modification. There's a multiplication effect that comes with the gospel. It's not just one eliminated behavior. Cleansing, fully clean. So we learn in a, in a profound surprise that the key to removing the stumbling block is coming to the one who was a stumbling block to many. In Jesus' life, in his death, in his resurrection, we, we have not only forgiveness, we have cleansing. This morning, the table is for you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, 
You can come and receive these elements, remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering the cleansing work of his blood. Let's come get clean this morning. Pray with me.